Hi there, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John back after a network-imposed hiatus retooling. I'm Jake. I'm Johnny, and meet our new co-host, Wilbur, the talking dog. <laughs> Finally. Whoa, whoa. Hi, everybody. Yes, the network thought it would spice things up a little bit to have a talking dog on the show. He's really in your face. Uh-huh. Edgy attitude. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But we just killed him off, so you won't be hearing from Wilbur anymore. Oh, no! Anyway, but we're back. <laughs> off, to a, off to a rollicking start already. We're, we're rusty, I guess. No, I think this is just about the quality we're going for before <laughs> this. Great high-quality stuff. Yeah, so uh, we are back with the podcast because I'm feeling more optimistic about baseball. And that is the only time I can ever motivate myself to do this. And also, like, you know, baseball is back after, you know, a 100-day hiatus of people being stupid. Um, yes, they, yes, they were. Yes. But we're back, and we're better than ever, and we have the Reds, who aren't a baseball team anymore. No, and the A's, who are doing their once-every-five-year shedding of talent. It's like the cicadas, only mm-hmm. more depressing. And more frequent. Yes, but farther away, so it doesn't bother me as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, the lockout, which lasted 99 days. Obviously, we have not brought you our high-quality analysis since the trade deadline in 2021 because the second half of the Washington National season was not worth discussing on a weekly basis. or even. And it didn't happen. Yes. No, it was fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, this season may also be fake. But it'll at least be more interesting. Or maybe not. Hard to tell. But we'll get to that later. Uh, In between now and then, uh, the season wrapped up. The Atlanta Braves chopped their way to a World Series. Uh, The sport shut down for 99 days. And it reemerged. A beautiful butterfly. Yes. Eh, from his like, cocoon. Again, more like a cicada. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> Emerge from the ground. Like a cicada, like a glorious cicada. Yeah, I, I assume everyone loves the cicada thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really know if, if this metaphor is really tracking, but I'm sticking with it. Uh, so, if you had asked me on December 1st, the day before the lockout started, what the final labor deal would look like, I would have said and did say uh, that it would look like a bump in the CBT, roughly maintaining the status quo on the penalties for the CBT, maybe some redistribution for uh, younger players in the form of what I thought would be an increase in uh, arbitration uh, and an increase in the minimum salary and roughly status quo maintenance overall. Uh, I would have been right. I would not have thought that it would have taken up to the brink where a 162-game season was impossible, but it did, and, you know, that's a little frustrating. But uh, the fact is they got it done before any real damage was done, so no harm, no foul. Uh, if, If you believe Major League Baseball and their partners at Fox, uh, Fox seems to say that they get to dictate when the World Series is, and they 
we're not going to allow it to be moved. So if you believe that, we were about two days from the breakdown point where it would have been impossible at 162. Mm. Some ugly things about service time and back pay would have come up. Uh, players or you know owners, there were there was a hard line of ownership that would have been comfortable missing games in order to extract more concessions from players, uh, and they would have been emboldened. Uh, the fact that all of this was avoided at the last minute is really terrific news. Uh, we have yeah. baseball. Yeah, and boy do we. How about that baseball? Well, we haven't seen yeah. any games yet. But, you know, you have teams trying. You have some teams trying and some teams not trying. Uh, you know, it's interesting to see which teams are going more for it. The Mariners are one of them who obviously are going more for it than in years past, which is great to see. Um, Try to think of other teams that are surprised. I mean, the Blue Jays are really going for it. Uh, they They might be getting Freddie Freeman. They might be adding up a lot of pieces to well, I mean, their already busy offseason. The source we have on Freddie Freeman right now is Carlos <laughs> Baerga's Instagram. But still, they're, they're very involved with, with Freeman. Um, uh, you know, I'm hearing that by hearing, I mean, I'm reading on Twitter as we're recording this, that they're apparently making a big push for Kyle Schwarber as well. Uh, so, yeah, Blue Jays, Mariners on the other side, the Reds, the A's. Mm are the newly tanking bunch, uh, wealth of which we knew before the CBT. And, and just to keep it on the, or before the CBA, uh, and just to keep it on that point for a little while, there's some consternation right now uh, among people who are inclined to be pessimistic uh, and who mistake deep cynicism for insight uh, that the new labor agreement did not fix tanking and did not legislate out the massive problems that baseball has. And the thing is that they're correct. The problem of tanking primarily is one of bad faith. The fact is that this labor agreement actually did a very good job of legislating, legislating out the benefits in terms of baseball to tanking. Uh, the, the draft lottery is a really good idea, even more so than the draft lottery, is the fact that if your team picks in the draft lottery two seasons in a row, in that third season, they are forced to pick no higher than 10. Uh, so the, the benefits to really tearing down uh, you know, Astros-style, Cubs-style, Orioles-style, although I frankly just think that the Orioles are just really bad at this. Mm -hmm. there is definitely changes in this CBA that will make it less beneficial for teams to tank. But you can't stop teams from tanking because that, I mean, it, the truth is that there's nothing in a CBA that was going to align revenues with winning any better. Uh, there's nothing that's, that's beyond the scope of a CBA. There's nothing that's going to really force ownership to spend. The, the players did reasonably well in getting a huge 30% increase in the minimum wage uh, or the minimum salary. Uh, they did well in, you know, this, this uh, pre-arb pool, the $50 million pre-arb pool 
the truth is that's not going to make a huge difference. Uh, the majority of the players who are going to see any of that money are players who would be fine throughout arbitration and free agency. If you're getting MVP, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young votes as a pre-art player, it's almost certain that you're going to make a you know big payday in free agency. Uh, so that's you know it doesn't really move the needle for me. Uh, I think I really do appreciate about the new CBA is uh, I, I don't know that it's going to make a huge difference, but this limit on how many times a player can be optioned, limited at five times in a given year, uh, I think that's great. I don't think it's necessarily enough. I would have liked to have seen it at three or four, but uh, that'll along with the 15-day DL and uh, an option uh, limit that's going to you know, really take away some of the worst roster manipulation. The CBA did what a CBA does. It's not going to fix the problems with baseball. The players did pretty well given the, le- the leverage that they had. And, you know, we all get to watch another season of baseball and another four more after that. So I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I think, you know, again, it could have been, I thought for a point this was going to get really ugly and certainly looked that way, especially when they announced the first slate of games were being canceled. Uh, but, you know, kudos to, every, you know, even to Rob Manfred. We were talking about this a couple of days ago. Um, Rob Manfred really whipped the owners into shape and I think, you know, got enough of them to agree to a deal that showed compromise with the players and actually gave them something back when they were negotiating instead of making the same offer but worse. Like this offer with a hat and then this offer with a hat. Um, you know, it was shitty that at every last offer there was always something new that the players had to go back and negotiate with. Um, that wasn't certainly in good faith at all. That's just like, oh, you're accepting this deal? Well, here's this little thing that we're adding in at the last minute. But uh, anyway, that's enough CBA talk. Yeah, now we're going to move on. Yes. Now we're going to move on to more baseball talk uh, because things are happening. Moves are being made. Deals are happening. And uh, let me just say how happy I am to be talking about baseball talk instead of CBA talk because – Following every twist and turn of the CBA negotiations, uh, to borrow a phrase, jokerified me, and it almost mm-hmm. turned my brain into liquid. But now well, I don't it's have over to worry now. about that anymore. And now you can see such things as John Morosi reporting that something might be happening, maybe, and is certainly possibly happening. Yes, the uh, he came out and said the Freddie Freeman. Uh, Saga was going to end twenty four and within twenty four hours, seventy two hours ago, mm-hmm. and now he's just saying soon. So uh, soon, I think Morosi is is more wrong in different ways than Nightingale. I mean, first of all, Nightingale did a good job with the labor talks and that stuff. He was actually on top of it there. He um, didn't. That is that's a myth. He was pushing like a lot of he. Sources were feeding him information, which he was reporting sort of uncritically. Uh, he didn't do a great job. I think he got a lot of credit for it. But, uh, yeah, no, Morosi's deal is just that he keeps things. Reports everything. Up. 
He and he reports every little he, like yeah. Oh yeah, and then he reports everything that he gets. Every little piece of news he gets is is automatically like a breaking news story. Like the Nats have had initial discussions about maybe going after someone, and it's like okay. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. annoying. Uh, it but anywho, the Nats are not just maybe thinking about going after one player, or actually several players, because they have made mm-hmm. moves. They've signed Ari Adrianza, Steve Ciszek, old friend Sean Doolittle, and old man Nelson Cruz. And tell us about Nelson Cruz, Johnny. So his age 41 season next year is Nelson Cruz, one of my favorite players, even though he did get popped for steroids way back in the day. But he's had a great second half of his career, and we don't like to talk about that. Um, Nelson Cruz, obviously known for his time probably on the Mariners or Rangers, um, you know, on the boomstick for a reason, the dude can absolutely mash. After some flags with Cruz last year, his numbers dropped off, uh, going from 294 uh, with a five, uh, 907 OPS in his time in Minnesota to a 226 uh, batting average with a 725 OPS in uh, Tampa Bay. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. His power numbers were still there. You know, he still had 13 home runs in 55 games last year. Uh, so, you know, he's still going to hit the ball for many dingers, but, you know, maybe it was just a bad stretch, but in, in seasons prior, he's hit 303, uh, he's had 992 OPS, uh, 1031 OPS, 805, 924, and, you know, it goes back every season since 2013, he's had an over 833 OPS. So, he's very he's, good. As, so... First of all, on that drop-off when he went from Minnesota to Tampa Bay, uh, the peripherals and the batted ball mm. statistics, uh, at least according to a uh, graph that I didn't really understand that was shared by R.J. Anderson of CBS Sports. Uh, I don't know that it wasn't I didn't understand it. I just didn't read it. Mm. But I saw that there was a graph, and it suggested that the uh, peripherals and batted ball stats for Cruz did not really fall out. Neither did his uh, batting eye or his contact stats. Actually, his contact stats looked better in the second half of last year than they did in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, he's been one of the most consistent hitters over the last 10 years. He is also 41 years old, turning 42 the day after the cutoff date. Uh, you know... The thing is, this is an absolutely zero risk proposition for the Nats mm-hmm. because it's a one-year contract. There's no such thing as a bad one-year contract. Uh, the upside is he hits, uh, you know, same as he did last year. He's tradable. Uh, he's a very big asset at the deadline because he's the type of guy who now, especially with 30 teams – who need designated hitters. You know, every team can use a guy like Nelson Cruz. Uh, so if he hits to you know what he's hit over the last 10 years, that's great for the Nats. If he doesn't, it's a one-year deal. He is a revered Dominican slugger coming to the team at a time when they're trying to convince their budding revered Dominican slugger to stick around. That's always great. Uh, it you know. What I don't really understand about the about the Cruz move is not what the Nats were thinking. It's what Cruz was thinking. 
he's told from other executives the reason why he signed here was because he's told from other executives that more major deals are coming. Um, so that's according to Cruz from what he's been told by Nat's people. And I don't, th- unless he's being lied to, which is maybe happening, um, which would be bad baseball. And it's not very much like the Nats are known for being one of those like, upfront organizations, especially with Rizzo at the helm. Like one of the things that everyone says when they leave is just like, this is a good organization. No one really shits on them, except if you're um, uh, Jim Riggleman on the way out. Um, so and relievers and really well that's Tyler Clifford doesn't seem to want to come back. Uh, Craig Stammen keeps resigning with San Diego. Well, I don't, that's even though I know, want him to come home. Yeah, I mean by wanting to come back, you don't know if the Nats have actually you know made offers to bring them back. Well, no, no, there other was relievers blood, there was some bad blood there. Like yeah, with Stammen, they, I they cut him. Yeah. Yes, they cut him when he was trying to come back from a torn flexor tendon during the 2015 season. Yeah. So there is. There's some bad blood but, there. But generally speaking, you know, Mike Rizzo seems like a guy who just knows who, who, who won't, like, I don't, I don't expect him to be like a liar. I don't know. I don't know the guy. He might lie. You know, I'm just saying from what I've seen from the past 11 years of him being part of, of you know, the GM here. Um, so if that could be the case, which you, I, I, you know, there's multiple reasons why you signed Cruz, obviously. Um, you can make a case for, if you're contending and you can make a case if you're not contending. The case for if you're not contending is he has a good first half, you saw him off for spare parts, whatever. But again, as you were saying, why would he sign here if, you know, he's 41, it's probably in his last couple of years, he's not signing here just to be playing with Juan Soto. Um, he's here to, to you know, win games, I assume. So I, I do think, you know, I've said this for a while, when everyone is mostly doom and gloom about this offseason, is that with Juan Soto, you're not too far off from bringing it back around. You know, you have the the guy who you can build around very easily. And yeah, the rotation is awful. Like, don't look at the fucking rotation. It's it's a mess. Um, but that could be a year from now's problem. We'll see, like, if Cavalli progresses you know he took a little bit of a step back in terms of prospect ranking but you know he's still high on a lot of people's lists um if he can develop and then you could go out and bring in a starter there's a guy who might be available who's opting out of a contract after this year who who knows maybe uh we trade number one starters with another team um <laughs> okay i'm not that's that not... would be uh that you know what i mean here's the thing mm-hmm. I think that it's impossible. The Nationals, as currently constructed, are not a contending team. That rotation is putrid. The offense with Cruz, Bell, and Soto, you know, there's some holes at the bottom of the at the of the lineup, but you know, the offense should be decent, mm-hmm. even with, you know, without Nelson Cruz last year, uh, post sell off, the Nats were the third best offense in the National League after the trade deadline. Obviously, that's entirely because of Juan Soto. But Juan Soto's still on the team. Mm-hmm. So And Lane know, Thomas. And Lane Thomas. And uh, Yadiel Hernandez had a pretty good second mm-hmm. half, I guess. I don't know. Those guys are still around. They probably won't be very good, but they're still here. Uh, 
The truth of the matter is you can't think about these moves as moves for this year. They are moves that are promising, but they're not moves for this year. Uh, they're going to make the team better for this year, which is great. And as we were talking about earlier, there really just is not, from a baseball perspective, very much incentive to go hard tank anymore. Because, you know, even if you have the worst record in the league, you get 25% odds of getting that first pick. Uh, and if you do it too many times in a row, you're, you're you know, dropping down to 10th. Uh, so... What this looks like to me is the Nats bringing their resources to bear to improve their odds of a rebuild. You know, like this is one of the few ways left that you can really buy prospects uh, by signing these guys to these one-year flyer deals. Uh, you know, they, they did it with Adrianza, they did it with Ciszek, they did it with Sean Doolittle, although obviously there's nostalgia and you know everything else at play there uh and they did it with Cruz so I like it I like all of these moves mm -hmm. but uh you know there's one thing that that I've been talking about a little bit that I don't necessarily think is likely uh I don't know what odds I would put on it but I would say don't count them out for Carlos Correa and specifically Carlos Correa and probably no one else but don't count them out for Carlos Correa. Uh, he's 27 years old. He's a shortstop. The Nationals have no viable shortstops in the organization, depending on how you feel about Luis Garcia. And, I mean, you can say Brady House, but House is 18, and people don't necessarily think he's going to stay at shortstop. Uh, the... Offseason this year is a cornucopia of shortstops to the point where, like, Correa might be having trouble finding a market at this point. Uh, he is a Scott Boris client, a new Scott Boris client. Uh, you've got this situation where there might be a fit there. Uh, look, I haven't heard any rumors about it. You know, it's not like I have sources, but if I had sources, my sources wouldn't know anything either. Uh, but it just, it makes a lot of sense if you look at it with a certain logic. Now, here are two impediments to it. One, you would essentially be asking the Nats and, and the learners to spend $200 million on a team that is not designed to make the playoffs. Two, you would essentially be asking the learners to commit to, you know, a, a real payroll for the next two years, you know, 22, 23, 24, without knowing whether or not this core beyond Juan Soto can sustain a winning team. But if you can do both of those things, if you can convince them that this is a plan worth pursuing, Correa makes sense. So I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I have no special insight, which is why people listen uh. to the podcast. They love my lack of special insight. Uh, but I wouldn't count them out. I wouldn't, you know, 
if you were to put odds on it to me, I'd say 15, 20 to 1. But that's not zero. So, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think they're done, though, even if it's not Correa. I, I think they're going to get another bat. Um, you know, maybe it's – I don't know if it's an infield bat or an outfield bat. I mean, it depends what you, you think of of Lane Thomas and Victor Robles. I'm personally over Victor Robles. I, I, I think he's broken something in his swing that doesn't really look like it can get fixed. You know, his, his, his approach was never the best. Uh, he went off mostly skill. And when he bulked up in 2020, I think it just fucked with his swing and he can't refine it. And so I'm not, I don't know how I, I feel about Robles. Um, I don't know how I feel about Lane Thomas either. I'm down to give him a shot because he's hit better than Robles ever has in that one stretch. Um, and I know that's short. He's 27. Term. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. But, you know, Spark, I, I don't, I'm down to give him a shot though. He's proved, he proved something. And maybe it was just that he was a two month fl- fluke. But I don't know. For, for John Lester, you know, I'm down to give it a shot. Um, Maybe they could get a guy like Jock Peterson. I know Jock Peterson probably wants to go to a contender, um, especially after his postseason last year. Um, but, you know, there are other bats out there. Kyle Schwarber is a guy who I don't think they'll bring back because um, it sounds like he'll get some real legit money somewhere. Um, but there, there are other bats out there. I think they're going to get a bat. And it could be – I personally am of the belief it's going to be of a high-caliber bat because, you know, the Nats have done this before. When, you know, it's a little, we talked about this earlier before we were on, but I brought up Jason Worth when the Nats bought a piece that they thought, you know, a year ahead of time before they thought they were getting good again, they went out and spent big on a piece and it helped accelerate their process. And obviously, you know, Bryce Harper was the reason why in 2012 they made the jump, but also like having Jason Worth change the culture in DC and <clears throat> I mean, it did. It did change the culture. You know, it brought in a new kind of, you know, it proved that the Nats could sign major free agents, which had never been done before. And, like, you know, for a young franchise that the Nats were, it it, it changed what the Nats, you know, looked like and the makeup of the Nats. And, yeah, obviously the other two big ones were Steven Strasburg coming back in 2012 and, you know, Bryce Harper, the, the two phenoms. Um, but I don't think there's – I think, you know, Worth played a big part in that as well. And so they have done this before. Obviously, it's not apples to oranges. It's different because you don't have that come up coming behind you. You don't have Bryce Harper in the minor leagues. But, you know, you do have is Juan Soto currently in the major leagues, and Juan Soto is the best hitter on this goddamn planet. And you have him for at least three more years. So – you know, yes. you don't want to waste too many years. If you're really committed to, to keeping Soto and you're really committed to, you know, beyond the next three years, you got to start adding now. And this market and this free agent market, there are plenty of pieces that you can add that can do that. If you look even, you know, I know you don't think they will do this, but if you look at Chris Bryant, you know, another type who, who's a perfect fit to fill the third base gap that also exists for the Nats, uh, unless you're really high on Carter Keyboom. Uh, like, I don't think anyone is really high on Carter Keyboom right now. I know. Um, Maybe not even Carter Keyboom's parents. No. So, 
if you look, you know, there's him, there's Trevor Story who's available, who I think his market's kind of weird and also could end up falling to the Nets because he had a down year last year. Um, you know, it, his market's kind of playing out similarly to Correa's. Um, although the Twins are interested in, in Story and that would be an interesting fit because he also doesn't come with the fucking Carlos Correa baggage, but Correa is also a better player than Story, so I digress. Um, you know, there's Story. That, so there, there's guys out there um, who you can build, who can be that second piece to Soto, and that can encourage Soto to look beyond the next three years and see something that's going to be here beyond a washed-up Steven Strasburg. Yes, and I agree. Uh, and I agree that, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be Correa. But I will say that with Worth, you know, they talked a lot. Rizzo talked a lot, you know, on December 5th, 2010, uh, about Worth being a special circumstance and a special piece, uh, and that motivating motivating the team to make that jump. Uh, Correa is unique. He's uh, a special piece. There's not going to be a player of. He's exactly. There's not going to be a a player like Correa. Look, I think, in all honesty the Nats would much prefer to wait an extra year, you know, before making this decision, before deciding to go all in on this core. But Carlos Correa is not going to be there in a year. Uh, he might Carlos be. Correa is there right now. Yes, if you believe that Ken Rosenthal report, which honestly would be the ideal circumstance for the Nats if Correa signs a one-year deal somewhere else. But more than likely, mm. he will find his market, and he will not be available in a year. Uh so you sort of have to make that decision now. And if Rizzo can sell it, I don't think it's necessarily out of the realm of possible. Now, as to the other moves you were talking about, there are certainly other moves that they can make, but they're probably all, like Correa, are going to be focused towards the future. The way they're going with acquiring assets, you know, you can buy prospects, but you can also buy major league talent. As you saw earlier today with the Suarez salary dump with Jesse Winkler, who's one of the best hitters in the game over the past four years uh, for minimal prospects from the Mariners to the Reds. And the Reds seem to be just doing a sell-off of all their expensive assets and pairing them with good assets and throwing dead money. Heck, Matt Chapman's still out there for the A's. Yeah, Matt Chapman's still out there. But the A's are looking like they need more of a package. So, like, maybe adding even Mike Moustakis as a guy with a big salary who you can get potentially Luis Castillo for. If the Reds are really trying to, you know, tear everything down, which they look like they're doing, uh, but there are other ways to get pros, get acquire talent and add depth to this lineup and to this team beyond the free agent market. And if the Nats really want to be aggressive, they could do that. You know, it depends on on how they want to spend their money. And I think they're going to spend some a little bit more money. And I think season. it's promising that they signed Cruz, which is basically entirely a future play. Yeah, uh, and that they're willing to do. I mean, this is. This is how teams used to rebuild back in the old days. Uh, obviously, two things have changed. One, uh, you don't really get the haul in prospects for midseason rentals that you used to, although Cruz seems to be unique. I mean, he, he brought back a pretty solid return from the Rays last year. Uh, and two, most teams that are tanking are not trying to win. Yeah. But the Nats are clearly trying to win, uh, and they – believe that they found a piece in Cruz that they can flip for real value. Uh, and I think 
the most promising thing. I don't know what their approach is going to be for the rest of the offseason, uh, which is only a week. Mm-hmm. Only a week left in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, thanks to the compressed timeline. But it's promising to me that they seem to be willing to spend to accelerate the timeline. And I think that I, other I have a feeling incorporated in that. Something's going to happen tonight, and this podcast is going to be irrelevant very soon. Well, uh, hopefully it'll happen tomorrow morning. Mm. Or, I don't know. Assuming that our many listeners listen on the As soon as it drops. Uh-huh. Yes. No, as soon as they right. drop, they're waiting by the dial. They've been waiting for, for two years or for a year. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's probably what's happening. Yeah. Uh, we're going to wrap it up now. And yes. Give you the people what they want. Yes. So you're welcome uh, for this podcast. Uh, we'll yes. be probably be back with yes. another one before the season starts, or if there's anything major that happens, maybe we'll do a, a podcast. But uh, yeah, we'll probably be back in a couple of weeks with a season preview. So stick tuned yep. for that, and uh, hopefully there's more things to talk about before then.